as the, the Chief Justice was confined to the airport, the, the judges and the lawyers at Sindh High Court were assaulted by MQM hooligans. And then as these peaceful rallies were going to receive the, the Chief Justice at the airport, and I, Tariq and Saf also gathered there. Uh, ours was on the way because our office was on the main road to the airport. So already they had, in the evening, picked up our workers from the office, and they had sort of, you know, we had prepared a stage to welcome them. Already they had ransacked that stage and taken away all our flags. But, uh, and, and they had blocked the main road, so no one could come on the main road leading up to the airport. So when the People's Party and ANP rallies came, so Tariq and Saab, which was already on that main road, we, they went ahead, joined them, and started moving towards the airport. Barely 50 yards as they moved, MQM gunmen got on top of an overhead bridge and fired straight into these peaceful rallies. And all day there was firing, 48 people were killed, 200 people received bullet wounds. And General Musharraf at the same time was doing a rally in Islamabad. And when this carnage was going on, and you could see, and everyone saw this on television. So this is the difference. If it wasn't for the private television media, no one would have known this. Because what would have happened, PTV would not have covered it, or would have said nothing happened, or would have said there was an accident. MQM would have said that we have been fired upon and probably would have registered FIRs against those people they had killed. And the press in the evening, when they would have gone for reporting, the MQM gunmen would have gone into the press offices and forced them not to write anything against the MQM. But because of the independent television, everyone saw this live. Everyone was sitting because people were expecting a record welcome for the Chief Justice. So people were sitting in their drawing rooms, watching television, and watching this blatant state-sponsored terrorism. And you're seeing people lying in pools of blood everywhere. In the evening, when all this carnage was over, General Musharraf goes on to this rally and announces that the people have shown their force. No mention of all these killings. He said the people have shown their force. And this is where, in my opinion, Pakistan changed. Because suddenly, for the first time, there was a reaction against the MQM. People were scared even to take the name of MQM. Forget about Altaf Hussain. I went on a TV show, um, you know, two or three days later, furious that my uh, ten of our uh, people had been, uh, had been wounded, bullet wounds, one serious. And we, there was an MQM minister sitting next to me, and he said that, you know, we were fired upon. I asked him, I said, for 11 years our party has been in existence. One, give us one incident where we even thrown a brick at someone. And here we, they were just walking straight and they were fired upon. And anyway, so I, when I mentioned the name of, this is what I want to tell you. When I mentioned to the minister and the compere who was sitting there, I said, when I said, look, I'm going to file a case, start legal proceedings against Altaf Hussain in London, I suddenly looked at the compare, and he went white. <laughs> and this MQM minister, I could see that there was complete panic. It was as if I had committed blasphemy. You know, I would proceedings like Altaf Hussain, and that's really the terror in Pakistan. I mean, I never realized. The, I mean, I always knew that, you know, people were petrified of him. Never did I realize the terror Altaf Hussain invokes in the people of Pakistan. People... Not, you know, there are plenty of, uh, you know, when we have our television programs, there are a lot of caricatures about all the political leaders. They make fun of us, me especially. <laughs> Never against Altaf Hussain. No one dares to make any, 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 um, any comment against Altaf Hussain. And, and let me tell you, there's a lot you can say about him, because if you ever, ever hear him speaking to his rallies on telephone... <laughs> I mentioned in this interview, I said, look, uh, you know, you should at least ask Altaf to give a proper speech. Because uh, the way he uh, addresses the, the rallies, it's, it's, it's quite a sight, because here are these people sitting there, worried that if they move out of place, the sector in charge is watching them, and they'll be, you know, in the evening they'll have a lot to answer for. 
So they are sitting there and they are on telephone for two hours. They are listening to this, this uh, lecture from Edgware Road. <laughs> and um, it's not a normal person cannot give a speech like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I mentioned in this thing, I said, so I, my mistake was that I said, look, I said, you know, it was as if a psychopath was speaking. <laughs> the next day, all of Karachi was painted. All Karachi was, there were wall chalking against me. But it was not just wall chalking. The most obscene things. It was so obscene that the people of Karachi were shocked the next day. People were taking their children to the schools. And there was, they all recognized Imran Khan. But what was written next to Imran Khan, they were asking their parents, what is that, daddy? And <laughs> it was so obscene that there was a backlash in Karachi. Not only that, they had demonstration against me. And then they banned me. So I decided when I decided to go to Karachi, they banned me from coming to Karachi. As if it's a separate part of Pakistan. It's not Pakistan. Here's a member of parliament, banned from going to Karachi. And, and for what? I mean, I was asking, I said, what is my, you know, under what law? Maintenance of public order. I asked them, I said, how many times have I broken um, any, um, you know, how, how many times have I caused disorder? So in other words, I was banned from going to Karachi, not for what I was going to do, what MQM was going to do to me. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so anyway, now I'll just sort of sum up just to give you, this was just to give you a background. But why do I think it's a very exciting time? Because I think what is happening is that the lawyers in Pakistan are now so firmly behind the chief justice that most of the judges have now moved behind the Chief Justice. There are very few judges now who are scared, you know, who would go against him. And this is what, is what has happened. The judiciary has actually fought for its own independence under this Chief Justice. That's why he's, he'll, he's always, he, he will always be my hero. Because for once we have had a Chief Justice stand up to authority, to a dictator. And so you don't understand what... The, The impact of this is going to be now immediately on the coming elections. Because once the judiciary is independent, that is what is going to ensure an independent election commission, which we have never had in our history. The election commission is always controlled by the military establishment. When you, you, know, when you fight an election, if you ever, and I hope some of the faces here will fight elections in Pakistan, with Tariq and Saf, of course. <laughs> um, whenever there are elections, you know, you, you don't get the results immediately. So you ask, you know, why? What's the delay? And they find, later on, they whisper in your ear that it's gone into the GHQ to first vet the results before they can give it to you. So the first time in our history we have an independent judiciary, which I believe is now, no one can stop it, that will ensure an independent election commission. And once you have an independent election commission, it's the only way we can have free and fair elections. Once you have free and fair elections, you, we will release the public. The public suddenly will be free from the, bank, from the fear of the establishment. Because it is a fair, you know, if you, if you go into the Pakistan rural areas, peop, it's not that people are, don't understand who to vote for. You will be amazed that the sense people have, uh, uh, political sense, rural people have in Pakistan. You know, when I was going to HSN College, I was always fed with these stories. And of course, reading Dawn newspaper, I always thought that, you know, the only problem with Pakistan is lack of literacy. People don't understand what's good and bad and so on. When I started actually going and uh, campaigning in elections, I discovered that the political awareness amongst children in the rural areas were more than adults in the settled areas. Because, you see, their lives depend on politics. So everyone understands the political issues in rural areas. It's not that they vote out... If, if they voted out of free choice, in my opinion, they will always vote in the right direction. The problem is they are too scared to vote for the, for the candidates who, who they think are good enough because they are subjected to political victimization. After the elections, you know, when I was going in my constituency and asking for votes uh, both times, a lot of times people would come to me and say that, look, we, we want to vote for you, 
But how will you protect us? Because you're not going to win the elections. So how are you going to protect us afterwards? You know, your party will not be in power. So how will you protect us? And this is the problem. This is why you need to have a genuine democratic system. You cannot have genuine democracy without independent justice system. Because only an independent justice system will protect the people from political victimization. And the sort of victimization that goes on, you just cannot imagine. They will cut water supplies of villages. You know, they will change the... Uh, uh, the School teachers will suddenly be transferred and the schools will be without teachers. I mean, the sort of punishment the people go through, the rural people go through, you just cannot have an... Uh, you cannot imagine that. So you can't have a proper democracy in the country unless and until people are protected from victimization and which can only be done by an independent, independent judicial, uh, judicial system. Now, what I think will happen in Pakistan, that General Musharraf, who's now mortally wounded... He's going to struggle for a while, but it is inevitable that he's going to fall. He, he, it's a structure that is built on brute force cannot survive once that force starts crumbling. Once cracks appear, you already have you know, him appealing to his um, Q League, telling them that you're not supporting me enough, and I've done so much for you, but you, know, you leave me alone, because they're already finding... Um, you know, they are already looking for new power blocks. So most of the part, in people in, in his party now already sort of thinking that this ship is sinking, so better jump off at the right time. And so in my opinion, General Musharraf is not going to last this year. Now what will happen after that, what will happen after that is that we will go into elections, we will have, under an independent chief justice, we will have Second time in our history, free and fair elections. Once we have free and fair elections, we should not worry what happens. I've been sort of speaking to British MPs, uh, you know, regarding um, the godfather at Edgware Road. And they always keep asking me the same question. That what happens if General Musharraf goes? Because General Musharraf has successfully told Bush and Blair that, look, if I go, this country will be swamped by terrorists fundamentalists, extremists like Imran Khan will take over. <laughs> and, you know, we will, and the bomb will fall into these extremists' hands. This is the typical thing, you know, which, uh, you know, not just General Musharraf, most of the tin pot dictators in Muslim world go around telling George Bush and company that, look, help me. Husni Mubarak has, for 27 years, has been sitting there and saying, help me, otherwise I'll be swamped by Muslim Brotherhood, and this will all be all Islamic extremism will take over. So this is typical, and that's why there's so much fear. That look, what happens if General Musharraf goes? What happens if General Musharraf goes, we have a better chance of fighting extremism than right now. Because if you look at the time since 2001, since General Musharraf has been in power, extremism has gone up and up. There's more radicalization in Pakistan than ever before. The whole areas are now sort of what is called Talibanization is taking place. So if General Musharraf was the answer, then surely it should be going down, extremism, than going up. Because extremism cannot be fought by a, a general with a gun in his hand. Extremism can best be fought by a genuine democratic system where you have freedom of expression, you have an open society, you allow the people to marginalize the extremists. Extremism is, extremism is exacerbated by... Um, dictatorship. When you close, just look at Pakistan's history. In the last two dictatorships, General Ziaul Haq and General Musharraf, the, extremist, the extremism has increased in Pakistan, and the religious parties have taken a, a big chunk of the vote bank. Whenever you allow people to have democracy, people always vote for moderate parties. So, so the answer, what we have to all, uh, you know, tell... Uh, the fearful bushes and blares of this world is that what they are barking up the wrong tree by backing military dictators or backing dictators full stop. The way to deal with extremism is allowing the people to sideline the extremists. When you use military force against the extremists, you only make the situation much worse. Um, and before you go, uh, you answer question, uh, ask questions, finally I would just say one thing. 
that it's very important, I see a lot of people here, that you participate in politics. Because it is the only way, um, you know, I'm talking now to the Pakistanis, of course. If I was British, maybe I would never go into politics. <laughs> you know, it's, um, uh, it's such a tame affair here. Uh, but, in, but to the Pakistanis, I would really ask you that, you know, you must go into politics because the country has tremendous potential. It's, and the, but the potential can only be realized if there's activism from, from educated young people like you. If you leave it to uh, others, then I'm afraid you will have politicians like Sheikh Rashid. <laughs> Who, who, Sheikh Rashid, if he was in England, we all know he would be on the dole right now. <laughs> and similarly, you know, I don't want to name the other politicians. So it's very important for our young, educated people to participate in politics. Uh, and, and that's the only way we can change our society. And the Chief Justice has finally give a, given us an opportunity to change ourselves, to change the course of Pakistani politics, to change the course of our history. Thank you. Thank you very much, Imran Khan. A very um fascinating talk, one which I think captivated the audience greatly. I will just make an announcement before we move to our question and answer session, which is to let everybody know that this event is being recorded and will be made available for online, uh, for public consumption on the LSE website as a podcast in the very near future. I suspect there's going to be quite a few comments and questions. What I propose is taking three at a time and then asking Imran Khan to respond to um, several at once. Bear with me. I'm going to try and go around. I'm going to start at the top, and then I'm going to come downstairs in a moment. So the first hand I've seen is a man in the back row who's smiling wildly at me. <laughs> and a um, man in a hat at the back there. Woman on the far left here. We'll take those three first, and then I'll come downstairs. Thank you. <coughs> Do you have a mic? Yep. Can you say who you are? Yep. And be uh, brief. Questions, right. not, not speeches. Sure. Um, my name is Mohammed Usman Piracha. I'm from Miyamali. Um, the question is that what happens if Musharraf stays and the Chief Justice of Pakistan is forced to resign? Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Well, that's, that's um, very easy. Uh, should I answer one by one? I suspect we'll be much longer than Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Where's the man gone with the hat? Yes, thank you. You need the mic. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed your talk. Uh, my question is, is there no good man standing in Pakistan? You've mentioned um, all these people who are not good for democracy. Just want to know if there's anyone good who's doing good for society. Okay, I'm also going to repeat the questions so that those who may not have heard it properly will get a chance. We'll just take the third. Just, you have to shout if it's not catching you. Hello? Yeah. Hi, sorry, Jennifer G. Skeffington. I'm just obviously watching uh, the developments in your country from outside. Uh, but one of the criticisms I've heard is that a lot of the movements now, it's just another move of kind of one bunch of elites moving against another bunch, especially the fact that it's led by lawyers and the fact that a lot of the appeals are to the educated people. And also when you mentioned about um, Musharraf's party, that people were already thinking of shifting their support to somewhere else. And I'm just wondering if you think the result of an election will still be, I mean, what to do about that great mass of elite that's still out there and if the result of an election will still just be a, a whole bunch of corrupt people with similar people still supporting them. And if perhaps a way of tackling that is to really try to appeal not just to the educated people but to the rural masses out there and not to discount their, their input and more kind of grassroots level. Thanks. Okay. 
Thank you. The three questions for those uh, who may not have caught that. First of all, what happens if the Chief Justice goes and Musharraf stays? What's the scenario? Secondly, I think, are there any good people in Pakistan? <laughs> Thirdly, uh, is, there, is there still a possibility for the elite and the corrupt to stay in power even after this election? Uh, first one is uh, that, you know, if Musharraf doesn't go, then we keep struggling. You know, there's, there's no shortcut. Uh, but I just don't think that um, knowing Pakistan's history and knowing the mentality of the army, the Pakistan army, they will go up to a point to back him. And then they'll realize that he's becoming a liability and I think they'll dump him. And my, my own assessment is that this autumn is, the, is about the time when they're thinking of, um, you know, finding a new army chief. Um, but if, he, but if he stays, then we struggle. Um, my suggestion to you is to join Tariq and Saf. Okay? <laughs> and the, and the, uh, this thing about simply the elites will change. Uh, let me just say one thing. You see, the how do people plunder the country, which I try to explain, is that they want to become part of the power structure with the knowledge that the judiciary will not touch them. The justice system will not what, touch them, and that's why they all rush wherever, whoever is in power. We call it, and you know, all of you would understand, lota politics. <laughs> you know, it means that wherever the power, the sort of, you know, they go that way. It's because it's their protection. When you are in power, you are above law. You know, Musharraf can do what he likes. Um, no one to, uh, to question him. So, therefore... If, in my opinion, it, it, it won't be sort of the end of the struggle, you know, once the elections take place, it'll be the beginning of a new struggle where we will be heading in the right direction. The classic cases of India, you know, for 40 years, the democratic system did not work because they had one-party system. And one-party system always breeds all the sort of negative aspects which, is, which a dictatorship brings in. But in the last 16 years, they had... A real hero, you know, and our, uh, our hero is the Chief Justice. Their hero was this election commissioner. I think Sishan was his name. And he conducted the most free and fair elections in India. Plus they developed a two-party system. And plus the regional parties sort of uh, broke away from the Congress. And so they had to have coalition governments. So their democracy started on the right path. And since then, Indian democratic process has got better and better. So it's a process. It's not something which changes overnight. In Pakistan, we were sort of taking one step forward and three backwards because we'd never, we were not on the right track. In my opinion, this move of the Chief Justice, by uh, uh, going for an independent judicial system, this is the beginning of a move towards democracy. And I actually believe that it's a very viable country, Pakistan as opposed to India, which is a, you know, it's a much more difficult country to govern than Pakistan. And I believe that if we get this direction right, very quickly it moves towards a proper democratic system. And what a, a genuine democracy does is it, it redistributes the resources. So people demand, you know, in your, if it's a proper democratic system, then they will demand a share of the resources. They will not allow the system like in Pakistan where you know, all the money is collected through indirect taxes. Actually, Pakistan right now is exactly the same situation as before the French Revolution. France was, where the nobility was tax-free. Pakistan, the rich people don't pay taxes because the system is made such that only the poor people pay taxes through high prices. Okay, I'm going to come downstairs first. Yourself in the white T-shirt, lady in the pinky orangey top, and yourself. Sir, bearing in mind the judicial crisis and political status quo in Pakistan, my question to you is that uh, myself and I'm sure that all the educated class, they represent that we have two concerns. The first concern is that, as you said, that Musharraf got to go. I do share with you that at the end of the day, he has to go. But the next concern is that who will come in power? Either Bainzir, Musharraf, or yourself, if you will come, we fully repose our trust in you. But the problem is that the other two pol politicians, they got the big vote bank, and that's a big concern. And the second thing, as you said in the middle of your lecture or discussion, that uh, 
in the rural side, in the countryside, they're very educated and very politically aware people. I'm sorry to say, I myself, from countryside, I was brought up there and I know everything. The problem with the people in Pakistan is they're uneducated and that's why they are not sure who is right, who is wrong, and they have fear, as you said in your discussion. So, okay, all okay. these problems hang on, in hang on, hang on, hang on. mind, sorry, that how could we trust you that if we come to politics, at the end of the day, we could be successful in solving the problems of Pakistan? All right, thank, thank you. you. And if we can get the mic to the lady in the pink top. I just want to ask you a simple question. You speak about how different parties and different people have ruined Pakistan, but what has Tariq and Saab done to help Pakistan, or, or what do you have to show for your party that how you have helped Pakistan in the time since you've existed? Okay, and you are going to go next. Just if we could have a mic at that end, please. Ah, thanks. This is on. Here I am. Oh, okay. My, by the way, we don't need education. Pakistani people, they, they are very wise without education even. <laughs> but anyway, my question is again about wisdom. My question is again about wisdom. You were 50 years old, if I calculate your age rightly. <laughs> by the time 1999, when a man whom we call Musharraf came into power, what was the wisdom behind you? Who was your advisors? What was the books you studied? On which ground you said that, okay, I am with you? Okay. And now we're going to take those three first, and the mics didn't pick up everything, so I'll just repeat. Um, what happens if other politicians, politicians other than yourself, win the election? That might be worrying for some people. And the problem of lack of education remains a, a critical issue in Pakistan. What has your party done? What can be said for your party's achievements? And thirdly, who are your advisors? What were your inspirations, I think, and your prompts for entering politics? Um, I got it, I got it. Supporting Mushar. I got it. I've, I've already gone in, on national television to apologize to people for supporting Musharraf. I've all, only politician have done that. I accept it was a mistake. But, you know, I'm fooled easily. I trust people. And he, was, he just seemed so sincere. You know, as someone said, if you can fake sincerity, the rest is easy. So, anyway, I fell for him. But... But let me just say one. Let's start with, uh, with your thing. Look, if you have an independent judiciary, it does not matter who comes to power. Because whoever will come to power, if your judiciary is independent, and people can go and redress their, their uh, grievances, or if they are corrupt, or if they are abusing power, if you, go to the, if you have an independent ju justice system, you shouldn't worry who comes to power. You know, this is the, the, the great thing about democracy. Um, and secondly, um, you know, uh, people like us, if someone comes to power and then he, you know, he's not, uh, he's abusing power, then we will be standing up against him too. So far, my record is that I have everyone who, 11 years who's been in power, I have been campaigning against him. So probably I'm, probably, I'm destined to do that again too next time. Um, and this thing about education, you know, I'll just give you one example. There was only one free and fair election in Pakistan. The people of Pakistan threw out all the old political houses. All the feudals were destroyed in Punjab by people, who, and they didn't even know, you know, who the candidates were. I mean, all it had to be Bhutto's People's Party, and, you know, he got votes. So we've seen already that people, you know, they're not fools. When they are, when they, when they are freed, when they are liberated to give their vote, then they will, you know, vote in the right direction. Uh, the second, oh, sorry, what was the, the other one? Um, what has your party done? What are its achievements? Well, you know, I, you'll have to wait till the party comes to power. It's not possible to stay out of power and do anything because you don't have any, uh, you know, power to do things. But I can say one thing that we have, in terms of ideas. Um, 
Tariq-e-Insaf has been the first party who stood up for independence of justice system, which today, you know, an idea whose time has come. Everyone now talks about an independent judicial system. So this is, in my opinion, our biggest uh, contribution to the democratic system. And secondly, it's the only party in Pakistan's history twice had a chance of being par part of the power structure. Both times, remember, two elections, both times we had the option to be uh, with the ruling party, be part of the government. And it's the only party that refused according to its ideology or its manifesto. So I think that's, that's a contribution. Normally, you know, you all have power politics in Pakistan. It's the only party that has stood for its principles and its ideals. And, and uh, you know, I didn't... Uh, okay, about Musharraf, very simply, that, you know, we... Musharraf came in and very sincerely said, I want to finish sham democracy and bring in genuine democracy. That was sort of something, you know, he was uttering from what I wanted, or what was, was our manifesto, and he gave seven-point agenda, which we all supported. But, you know, and just in my defense, the only thing I will say is that never has anyone ever refused an offer of being the prime minister of the country and has refused because we felt that by being the prime minister, we would not achieve our objective. Right. We've got questions that would keep us here for two hours, but we've only got half an hour, so I'm only going to take a few. We'll go back upstairs. Yeah, they're going to have to be quick questions. Um, man in hat, a couple of rows down. Uh, my name is Khan Rada. I'm from uh, Wimbledon. Uh, I have uh, two questions, please, to ask. One is uh, you are mentioning about the uh, chief justice business and uh, all the chief justice uh, uh, doing and the lawyers are doing and the courts are doing. So uh, you have mentioned in your speech two cases of one uh, Lahore jail and one uh, Karachi jail. Uh, where were the courts at that time when the people, poor people spent it 15 years or 9 years in the jails? Where were the courts at that time? That is one thing. Second thing, sir, you are asking all of us over here to join you on, on the basis of just hearing you, your speech now. Uh, what good it will be that none of us belongs to Pakistan. We are citizens of this country, this land. We are not registered to vote in Pakistan, and we don't want it as well. And uh, some of them are, maybe some of them are, but, but what we can give you good to join Tariq uh, Insaf in this country? So these are my two questions, please, which you will to answer, please. Thank you. Thank you. Um, man in the check shirt, sort of in the middle here. I'm saying Dr. Pro. You're going to have to wait. We're going upstairs. Um, my name is Umar. Um, here. Hello. <laughs> my name is uh, Umar and uh, Imran. Uh, I'm really very much impressed that uh, there is a politician. There is a first politician uh, who is in a position to express the chronic disorders of Pakistan in a very comprehensive way. But apart from these chronic disorders, there is a most injurious disorder which I want, which I want you to make it very clear in front of all of us. Because uh, I am, I am, uh, I am Pakistani. I am from Sargodha. If you make it clear, then I am with you. Fine. <laughs> Fine. That's okay. one vote. <laughs> no, the problem is this, that uh, suppose I am a politician. And uh, be before the election, that uh, I go to express all the problems, all the flaws, all the disorders that are being prepared in the Pakistan in a very quite comprehensive manner, what, what you did. Put your question. I'm just summing up. <laughs> now, there are, there are two dimensions that I know that these are the problems. I realize that these are the problems, and I can solve these problems in this way. 
as i i do know as you said that uh, the persons who are killed in the next day they are victimized that they are terrorist so this we have to keep imagining that we are politicians and we, what we do is we we do have a mask behind you need to put faces. your question lots of people are we are hypocrite we are living with ambivalent nature and we do, we do have a solution of this problem in holy quran and i want you to express your own wordings that how can i make it sure that you don't have a mask behind your wordings thank you okay one more from upstairs no one more from upstairs <laughs> oh my goodness the the shorter people make their comments the more questions we're going to get Uh, yeah, my name is Asim. Uh, you very correctly pointed out that MKM gets a lot of its support uh, from the notion of fear, but a lot of MKM support is also extracted by the fact that Sindhis somehow feel that uh, preferential treatment is given to other parts uh, of Pakistan and uh, resources are not allocated uh, properly to Sindh. Uh, what are your comments on that? Um, okay. Like yeah, please, first uh, of all, um, where were the courts? I'm slightly paraphrasing. Where were the courts <coughs> in historical, in terms of historical injustices in Pakistan, and how will those who are UK citizens assess the current struggle? Um, what is yeah. the mask behind your words? I think was the final question <laughs> at the end of that <laughs> word. And what to do about regional inequality yeah, and distribution yeah. in Pakistan? Okay, okay firstly, uh, the, the two questions there. I mean, it, clearly, it was for you know Pakistanis who I spot here, who I'm inviting to join uh, Tariq and Saab. But if not Tariq and Saab, politics. You know, not, you know. I think you should all be political because that's how you'll change Pakistan. You can't change Pakistan by having dinner table conversations and de getting depressed and going to sleep and then again talking about other people's corruption. You have to be, you know, be an activist. Uh, <clears throat> the thing about the judge is true. the judiciary is corrupt the police is corrupt but there's a reason for it when the police or the judiciary is used by the government for their for their for their purpose for to do corrupt things that if uh, you know like you know, i'll give you an example in miawali just so that it's it's a micro level i see what is happening at the macro level that in miawali i found you know they they passed a new police act that the superintendent police of every district minimum time he will spend there is 3 years in my district i discovered that six superintendents were changed in 3 2 and a half 3 years not because they were doing anything wrong because they were not doing enough wrong things <laughs> you know they wanted them to victimize the opponents um and especially of course my supporters and when they would not go to a certain extent they were transferred so what do you expect from the police when it is used just now the sindh ig police uh, just retired and he said i failed to do anything i failed to curb law and order uh, to 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 uh, um, to impose law and order because he said that i the people were under me were transferred without even me knowing the mq was posting its own uh, police officers at lower levels how can he said how can i uh, you know uh, you know do my job so so when your system does not uh, where you give authority you should also give responsibility you can't give responsibility to someone and authority is in someone else's hands it's it's against all management principle it never works now poor old shock of disease you know more apt shortcut disease <laughs> you know here he is he has all the responsibility he has no authority So what does he do he runs around like Marco Polo all over the world you never see him occasionally he visits pakistan you know so because he has he, he, a system like that cannot work so this is the problem you know if you don't blame the judges the judges are not they are promoted not because they are competent because they are you know it, they can only get up there if they are controllable so when you want control judges and control police and you know not go by the law but 
what they ordered from up there, then you don't expect uh, you know, them to perform their duties. The second question was, is there a mask? Now, let me just say one, one thing. Um, you know, the lot of things uh, since 9-11, uh, you know, we talk with the way we talk about religion, that Islam is, uh, is almost, um, you know, uh, the reason for terrorism. I mean, in, in among, amongst the Western uh, uh, man in the street, this whole thing is that what started off as um, radical Islam is the real enemy now. After 9-11, Bush and, you know, uh, Blair later on, radical Islam became this enemy, this new threat to the Western civilization. Same as communism and Nazism. Uh, and this is where Islam today is uh, so maligned. You know, when Wilmer was misdiagnosed as murder, immediately we had visions, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the Western countries, bearded as a bomb strangling Wilmer. <laughs> you know? So it's... <clears throat> so suddenly... Suddenly people, you know, are scared to call themselves Muslim. Immediately when they say, I'm a Muslim, but I'm a moderate. You know, I'm a liberal. You know, immediately that you would be classified as some sort of a, you know, murderer or terrorist. But my reason for coming into politics was mainly because of a spiritual evolution that took place within me. Now, spiritual evolution, uh, you know, doesn't mean that, you know, you become an angel overnight. It just means that your direction in life changes. It means that from self, from materialism, from thinking of yourself, which is what is the other extreme of uh, spirituality, you suddenly realize that there's a reason why you're here and that the more you are given, the more responsibility you have towards other members of the human society. That's what spirituality does to a human being and that's what it did to me. So the reason why I'm um, in politics is because I felt that I am more privileged than any Pakistani I know. I was given more by Almighty up there than anyone I know. So therefore I felt that I should try my best. And that's all we can do, try and my best to bring about a change in the society. If I succeed, great. But if I don't succeed, at least I've tried. Muhammad Ali Jinnah, after 19, when he came back after England, very successful practice he had for seven years here. One of the most successful lawyers. So when he was wiped out in the elections in 1940, and I know how he must have felt, <laughs> twice. <laughs> uh, uh, so his friend came up to him and said that, you know, Mr. Jinnah, don't you wish you had stayed back in England and done that successful practice? And his reply was, is actually what my reply always is. That he said, all I'm aiming for is when I die and meet my maker, all I want him to say to me is, well done, Mr. Jinnah, you tried your best. So that's all we can do. We can try our best. Um, <clears throat> third, the third, what was the third question, sorry? The third last uh, regional inequality. Yeah. Now, this is a real problem. What you're saying is absolutely true. Whenever you have a centralized system, mainly when you have a dictatorship, but even when we have democracies, the system has been centralized. Whenever it is centralized, what it does is that the resources get all concentrated in the center. Now, my heart really bleeds at the moment for people of Balochistan. Remember, it's 44% of, it's 44 of Pakistan's land mass. It's got 5% of Pakistan's population. And the resources are distributed according to the population. So it only gets 5% from the NFC National Finance Commission. So only 5% of, of the award goes to Balochistan. Which means that Balochistan is perpetually, it, we, we are just forcing it into backwardness. I mean, it means that out of 20 districts in Balochistan, 18 districts, more than 50% of the population is below the poverty line. And yet it is Balochistan, just from the Sui gas fields, 85 billion rupees of Sui gas, worth of Sui gas comes into Pakistan, only 5 billion goes back. So if you're a Balochi, you would feel deprived. And MQM was formed absolutely because of this reason, that the Mahajar population, 
the most educated population in Pakistan. There was this quota system where they could not get jobs beyond a certain quota because they were Mahajars. So they, they had a genuine sense of grievance. Now my point about Altaf Hussain is that if I was a minority who was not getting his rights, what would I do? Would I support General Musharraf or would I have the biggest reception for the Chief Justice? Because it is an independent justice system that's going to give me my rights. It's the judiciary. If, it's a, if, if you have an independent Supreme Court, that is how smaller provinces and everyone can get justice. So therefore, um, you know, this whole struggle, this whole thing about MQM actually got exposed on 12th of May. That here is a party which talks about grievances and, you know, not getting their rights and so on. And yet here is a party that sabotages a judge who wants independence and goes and backs a military dictator. And dictatorship is what caused the breakup of Pakistan where Bangladesh, uh, you know, came into being. Because all the resources were concentrated in, in Punjab and the center. Um, we have 15 more minutes. I think we've probably got, if we're very good, possibly time for two more rounds of questions. So I'm going to see the man here with a paper in his hand. Somebody here promised me a quick question. Was it you in the brown jacket? Okay. And the uh, lady in the green at the back. Okay, Imran, uh, this concerns like your, uh, con uh, your visit to the UK. In Ilford, you said that Lord Nazir, he, he has promised to take you to all the MPs and everyone. Just want to know what's the response on that and the case that you've filed against the goon at Edgeware. Or if you can just tell the audience as to where that stands right now, that's all. Thank you. Uh, yourself here in the middle, man in the brown jacket. <coughs> Thank you, Imran. Yes, I do agree with you. Man does not live by bread alone. And your you know, suggestion that man is a political animal, Aristotle said that before you said it anyway. But coming to the question, the common thread throughout your, uh, today's uh, speech was, A, the role of the media and the recent uh, factor whereby the media was banned and stopped and then suddenly he, the Musharraf backtracked and they're again you know, coming back on the stage. Can you sort of enlighten us a bit more about it because you're a bit nearer to what's happening in Pakistan? And the second thing is, uh, yes, Lord of <laughs> No, I can't <laughs> let you have two. There's okay. so many people waiting. There's a lady at the back. Um, you're gone. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, Okay. Actually, it's not me who wants to ask questions, my friend, but I will hate myself if I don't say this. I want to personally thank you for your commitment against the new con war criminal Bush and to thank you personally for the 92 World Cup. <laughs> I had to, to let her say that or else the whole way home I would have just quick, got quick, a right Quick, 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 quick. There are some people who question your credibility, you know, as a leader. They feel that, you know, you've played the religion card and, you know, the way in which the media has tirelessly emphasised, you know, your playboy image, you know, that was created in, you know, your good old days. Um, but, but, perhaps, but, but perhaps my, perhaps my education and my Can you somewhat, speak into the mic? Perhaps my, somewhat, my education and my somewhat liberal upbringing has, you know, enabled me to bypass those issues. Um, today, before I was coming, so many people were like, oh, Mabin, you have to be careful. You're naive. You fall, you're, you're, only, you're only 17, you know. Just open your eyes and think with an open mind. But, you know, from what I've seen tonight, you know, the, char the charisma that you've shown, the wonderful aura that you present, show. <laughs> no, I'm not... Like, Do you have a question? Do you I, have a question I, for... I don't mean to sound sycophantic at all. You know, I'm, I'm genuinely Shh. impressed. I'm do you have a question? I do have a question. My opinion is, how, how, what actions do you think are needed to you know, change the negative opinions some people ha have about you? Because in some people's eyes, you, know, you are seen as that playboy. You are seen as someone who's searching for glory. And okay, thank you. I think I've got enough of the questions. But I think I missed... Do you have the three? Shall I run through them? Um, yeah. Can I ask the last one? I mean, answer no, no, the last no, question... No. Um, I take it you're joining Tariq and Saf. No? Okay, I'll clear the questions. Okay, Go on. okay the three questions. What's the response? I'm sorry, you've had your time. Yeah. 
What is the response you've had from the UK MPs that you've been meeting and the case against, what are we going to call them, the man at Edgware Road? Um, uh, how to address the negative opinion that, that still exists and the negative assessment of you from earlier years? And I failed to write down your question, I'm afraid. The role of the media. The role of the media, um, uh, well, what I have done is, uh, you know, Altaf Hussain, the most entrenched mafia in Pakistan, he, he heads this party which is, as you say, based on fear. Uh, ever since I decided to take him to court, I cannot tell you the sort of response I've got from people, women whose husbands have been killed, who are scared, hiding somewhere, and saying that they want to give evidence. But too scared. People from South Africa calling in Germany. People hiding from MQM there. Uh, sons of uh, you know MQM leaders who've been killed, uh, who've been um, you know killed by Al Tafasan. So it's uh, it, we've been overwhelmed. I mean the response from people who have been too scared to speak out so far. So what I have uh, we have we are fighting it in three uh, ways. One is the media because remember, crooks are petrified of publicity. So we are going, you know, I'm going uh, uh, as much uh, of the British media as possible. Number two um, is lobbying the members of parliament and trying to make them understand this contradiction. That here are Pakistani troops dying. Five times more Pakistani soldiers died in Waziristan than Americans have died in Afghanistan. So here are Pakistani soldiers dying, Pakistani citizens dying, 700 of them have been handed over by Musharraf to Americans who've been bundled off to Guantanamo, whereas the first one who should have gone there should have been Altaf Hussain. And so here is Altaf Hussain. So the biggest terrorist in Pakistan is safely sitting at Edgware Road, having this sectariat of 40 people funded by extortion at gunpoint money taken from Pakistan and brought here. And so how do, they, you know, how do they balance this contradiction? So that's what I've been trying to tell the MPs. And lastly, you know, there's a real hero, and I'm very pleased that he has my name, Imran Khan, the lawyer. I am very impressed by this man. He has taken this, the solicitor has, is fighting this case free for us. And we are... And tomorrow... And tomorrow we will give a briefing of how, how you know, or whatever he tells me to disclose. Because, you know, this is a, this is a real battle fighting the legal case. Because we don't want Altaf Bhai to somehow get away and say, look, I was always innocent. You know, I was, I, you know, as the courts have proven me. So we have to, you know, this is a real case. It's like, you know, in cricket, every, every now and then, the best opponent always makes a mistake. You know, my 20 years of, 21 years of cricket ta taught me this, that the best of your opponents always during a match makes one mistake. And a champion is that who when that opponent makes the mistake, he grabs him and then doesn't let him go. It's called the killer instinct. So I'm not going to let Altaf get away with this this time. Um, the media, the next is the media. And um, just the role of the media, uh, you know, I've already highlighted, has just, you cannot, you know, imagine the real heroes. You know, there have been heroes who've come up, like Talat Hussain, like, you know, Hamad Mir, and, you know, names, they've become heroes. I mean, you would be amazed that soap operas in Pakistan do not have the same ratings as current affairs programs. The most watched programs are current affairs. Big Brother would be a disaster in Pakistan right now. <laughs> And, and the, the, um, General Musharraf tried to clamp down on the media. And you won't believe it, the journalists and the media people actually went out in the streets and actually took on the police. And then, of course, uh, you know, the viceroy sitting in the American embassy decided that, you know, you're going too far, Mush, get back. So Mush had to take back the ordinance. So, you know, the media has really won a small victory. And the last is... Uh, uh, you know, look, I, I, you know, I, I actually didn't, don't understand. It was such a long question, but I take it as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs>
Hi, this is Saad Khan from Quetta, Pakistan, and I quote from Daily Dawn today: "U.S. still maintains close ties with Musharraf." And uh, my real question is: How can we convince, and uh, what will be your course of action to convince Western powers not to interfere in Pakistan's politics and let the democracy prosper in this country? Okay, <laughs> people jumping up and down like crazy. Okay, um, man, who's Waving at me just here, yes, in the. Hi, my name is Abdul Basit Jilani. I'm from Lahore, Pakistan. Um, I've got a fairly straightforward, simple question. Um, I mean, for me, Tariq Ansaf, as a political organisation, um, is quite faceless. Besides you, how can you actually convince me to vote for Tariq Ansaf or be part of it? if i put you out of the equation thank you thank you and the last question we're going to go to the lady in the middle here I'm just going to, we're going to stop there. Shall I re- I'll just run through yep. this again. How, what would be your strategy to keep the Western countries out of uh, Pakistan and, and allow democracy to flourish? Who do we know is, uh, as the rest of the face of, of uh, Tariqi and Saf, other than yourself? And what is the nature of the relationship between yourself and Benadir's party and what will happen to the NQM? Okay. Um, you see, when the, when, whenever there's a void then someone will come in to fill the void. And the problem with Pakistan has been, um, you know, it's a, it's a long answer, but I'll just make it very concise that, you know, we have lived beyond our means, not because of the people, but because of the elite. So Pakistan started borrowing money um, and started spending money, which was not collected through taxes, but came through aid. And this curse of aid made the elite dependent on aid, and then most of the aid was spent on them, not on the people of the country. Now, when you beg for money, you beg for your existence, you lose your sovereignty. And so in my opinion, the biggest curse was when early in the years we first uh, became uh, part of the, uh, the Western Bloc, and started, you know, became part of CETO and CENTO. And so, therefore, you know, we, we relied on aid, but then became, you know, like uh, the U.S. Uh, in the U.S. camp. Uh, you know, there's a very interesting thing which most people, Pakistanis, don't realize. Initially, when the British, uh, you know, when the British commander-in-chief was in charge of the Pakistan army, um, Iran tried to nationalize its oil. And the British commander-in-chief ordered the Pakistani brigade commander in Quetta to mobilize to move into Iran. I mean, this was the state of Pakistan at the time. And so the Pakistan army was, in the beginning, a client army because it was getting aid from them, and so so it was doing their work. And similarly, now what you find in in Waziristan, 80,000 Pakistani troops are in the tribal area, they are paid $70 million a month salary by the U.S. for this. They rented. They are, so it's a rented army. If the U.S. had to put 80,000 soldiers in Waziristan, it would cost them a minimum of $3 billion a month. So we are sort of, you know, a cheap mercenary army. And so how do we expect that the countries that are giving us this money will not interfere? 
And in my opinion, the only way Pakistan can be a sovereign country is when it relies on its own, the strength of its own people. If you want respect, first respect yourself. If you do not respect your own people, no one will respect them. And if a country does not stand on its own feet, it cannot be sovereign. So someone who has uh, seen uh, the mobilization of Pakistani people on two occasions, one was when I collected money in the streets, and the other time was when the earthquake took place in Pakistan and I went up to the, to the affected areas. What I saw there was, again it reminded me that we never, our, our leaders have never depended on the people of Pakistan. And by, you know, by depending on other people, they have neglected the real force, which is the people. What I saw in there were convoys and convoys of people going to these uh, areas just by themselves. There was no government, no coordination, and people just filling their cars up with whatever stuff they had. And they were all over. In the mountain areas, people were helping, you know, they were digging people out. I've never seen scenes like that. It was, you know, the times when you feel proud that, you know, your people, if, if given a chance, this is the strength of Pakistan. And, and when, you, when, a, when, a, when a leadership relies on the people, that is what will make Pakistan stand on its own feet and we will not be begging and boring for our existence. This, the second question is, you are right in a way that Tariq Ansaf um, is not an institution as yet. As yet. When I, you know, when I started the cancer hospital... For the first five years, I sat in the hospital. And then gradually, now a stage is that I you know, give 10 days in a, a year to the hospital. I have made myself dispensable. I've, I've become dispensable because the hospital has become an institution. And so my idea is that Tariq Saf is going to become an institution when we hold regular elections, when, we, when the party does not rely if Imran Khan is in this world or not, the party will function as an institution. This is my goal, that it will become the only, inshallah, the only institutionalized party in Pakistan where it will, have, uh, it will function according to the constitution, not to the whims of you know, one man sitting on top. But it's not at, at this stage, it has not been possible. And the reason why it's not been possible is because Tariq Ansaf is a unique experiment in Pakistan. It's a unique experiment because it is the only party that has not been established by Pakistan's establishment. It's the only party. Remember, every party has been established by the establishment. All Muslim leagues have been established by military dictators or the ISI. All Muslim leagues. And there are, I don't know, 15 or 20 of them now. I wonder sometimes that if, uh, you know, if, um, uh, if Ranjit Singh was in this uh, times... It'll be a, a PMLR, you know, PML Ranjit will also come in. So they're all made by the establishment. And um, MQM was uh, the General uh, Aslam Beg gave a statement the other day that the military established the MQM. That's why you have sector in charge. The sector in charge was established by the ISI. And similarly, you know, you have uh, whatever you name the party. Zulfikar Ali Bhutu for eight years was a minister of a military dictator. True, afterwards he formed, you know, a party. But remember, the establishment was neutral. Never has anyone stood up against the establishment. This is the only experiment where you've stood up against the establishment. So the first election we had, you know, we could have been part of the government. We did not. We didn't stand. We went the opposite way. We were wiped out. Then again, I picked up the party. Just getting ready. Musharraf comes along, conned by him. Didn't fight with him again destroyed one seat. Now, again, the party is coming up. And now it is a proper party. Now you will see. You see, parties are only made in tough times. You don't make parties in good times. Good time parties disappear when the good times are over. As you will see, the Q League will disappear in thin air. And it's a, you will see history being created. Another party disappears the moment General Musharraf takes off his uniform. The moment he, he leaves the army post, you will not hear of Q, uh, Q League, just like when the moment Ayub Khan went, Convention Muslim League disappeared. Um, so in my opinion, a party that is created in tough times is the party 
where you where, where you know who who the people are who are the people really with you you know who've gone through the bad times you know your team it's like you know if you're if, to be a successful cricket captain you must know your team that who can play under pressure who are the players who who can only score runs on the easy paced faslabad wicket who are the players you know who will stand by you when there are tough times you know when the ball starts bouncing around the face and so this is the the tariq and saab which is i'm left with now it is the is the party that has withstood pressure they've been through the mill so i know you know i know all my all the party members all over pakistan i know exactly who's who when when the pressure comes to me who will stand up who sort of stays at home and so on and that's how you build a proper team because remember the objective is not to get into power the objective is to get into power and then implement your socio economic agenda to bring about a change in pakistan and the last one was your relation relationship between your party the ppp and the future of the mqm um well i'm at the moment closest with the pmln which is nawaz sharif's party and the reason is that he has the clearest agenda of no compromise with general musharraf you see at the moment it's a question of getting rid of the military dictator and he is clear about it nawaz sharif from day one has said there can be no compromise so there are only a few parties like us who believe that there is no compromise uh not that close to benazir because benazir keeps talking about a deal and i cannot understand what deal you can have with a military dictator the only deal you can have is detrimental to pakistan's democracy because if you if you do a deal with him then it means uh you know you are giving him a way out um so so uh, so not that close with him and the future of mqm i think mqm has a future but it does not have a future with altaf hussain because as long as altaf hussain is there he will never allow mqm to become a democratic party because he controls it from here he's never going to go to pakistan he's too scared to die so he's going to sit here have people killed there and let me tell you most of the people who have been killed since mqm has come into being have been the urdu speaking mahajar population and so as long as he's here mqm can never become a democratic party it'll remain a fascist party only way he can control his party is through fear and fear can only be instilled by you know someone who use fascist tactics um but i do think that mqm has a future provided they don't have altaf hussain it becomes uh, a party and i hope that it'll become a national party because remember the the urdu speaking provided most of the leadership in pakistan as i said all the political movement started from karachi it's a, the politically the most aware group and to just confine them into ethnic politics is a big disservice to pakistan so i would like you know uh, mqm as future to become a genuine democratic party which is becomes a national party rather than just is confined to one ethnic group thank you very much Yeah. 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 Yeah.